Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 7. John chapter 7, we looked at verses 25 through 36 this morning, and we saw that I suggested this morning, is it possible that Jesus was challenging the authorities? It looked like he was being pretty bold, teaching in public, just daring them to do something when he knew the, Jew, uh, the Jewish authorities, the Jewish religious authorities were plotting to kill him, seeking to capture him and kill him? Or was there a different reason for Jesus' boldness? We're going to focus on the truth of verse 30 tonight. I wanted to come back to verse 30, but let's, let's go ahead and read the passage so that we can set the context for verse 30. Uh, beginning at verse 25, follow along in your copy of God's Word, John chapter 7 and verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So they thought. So they were taught. Verse 28 says, So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I have come from him, and he sent me. And verse 30 says, So they were seeking to arrest him, these Jewish religious authorities, they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Then the Pharisees uh, Pharisees heard the crowd muttering, says verse 32, these things about him. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? So I asked this question this morning. How could Jesus speak so boldly even in the face of great what was what was a growing and great opposition to him how could he speak so boldly when he knew the jewish religious authorities wanted badly to kill him they wanted to be done with him how could he speak so boldly i answered that question this morning noting that jesus was not held to the limitations of the timeline of these Jewish religious leaders. He was not held hostage to their timeline, to what they wanted to do. We hear that clearly here in verse 30. Look at verse 30 again where it says, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. They're seeking to arrest him, but they couldn't. Why? Because it... It wasn't, it wasn't his time, was it? 
The Father wouldn't allow it. Jesus was following the Father's timeline. God the Father had set him on his course, put him in human flesh, sent him to earth, and gave him a mission. And Jesus is on mission. He's fulfilling his appointed mission from God the Father. So he's able to continue with boldness to do the work for which he was sent by the Father to accomplish. Jesus was not being foolhardy. He was not being foolish. He was not challenging so much the Jewish religious authorities as he was following orders. He was following the Father's orders. He was under orders from the Father, and he has this also. He's following the orders of the Father. He also has the Father's help. He has the Father's help. I pointed to Isaiah 50 and verses 7 through 9. Do you want to turn there and look at those verses with me tonight? Isaiah 50. Isaiah 50 verses 7 through 9. I pointed to them this morning where we find his, uh, this, this interesting prophecy. And it points to the boldness of Jesus Christ. It's a prophetic passage about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it points to his boldness. The, the boldness we see here in John 7 and, and even elsewhere Isaiah 50 and verse 7, But the Lord God helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, The Lord God helps me. Hear that. Verse 9. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. So back to our passage in John 7. Jesus can fulfill his mission and he can do it with boldness. He can do it with confidence. Why? Because he knows he's on mission from the Father. And he knows he has not only been sent by God the Father, but he also knows he has the Father's help. So here's what I want to remind you of tonight. And it's this, that if... You are in Christ. If you are a believer in Christ, the Bible says you're in Christ and Christ is in you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're in Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have access, and I have access, to that same Spirit-filled boldness to live our lives this side of heaven. We sang a couple of songs that remind us of a couple of lines in there remind us of that day when we see Christ face to face and oh we look forward to that day but right now we're here right now we're this side of heaven and sometimes it seems daunting and challenging and yet i think we forget that we have all the power we need if we're Christ if Christ is in us we have all the power we need through the the spirit filled boldness that God will give us if we will take steps to obey him And we will hide his word in our hearts and obey his word. So if you're a follower in Jesus, you can serve the Lord every day with spirit-filled boldness. 
That's not easy at times, is it? But, but we have that available to us, and we need to remind ourselves of this. And I intend to do that tonight. I want to show you that, uh, that we see this in other believers who've gone before us, and we see them in God's Word. That's the truth that we see lived out, in fact, in the lives of believers throughout the New Testament. And we've got to thank God's Word for this. Uh, it shows us what others have been able to do as they obeyed God and obeyed His Word, not in their own strength, but with the help of the Holy Spirit. Again and again, we see the church and followers of Christ boldly living and speaking for Jesus, not in their own strength, not because they were wonderful and powerful people, but because they had a powerful Savior and they had the powerful, infilling presence of the Holy Spirit. And like Jesus, the Spirit-filled early church displayed some boldness that, that I would suggest is, was not their own. It was not natural. It was supernatural. It was the boldness of the Holy Spirit working through them, and we're going to see that tonight. So I want to give you several examples of this. And for example, I want you to, uh, maybe you can turn to Acts 4 and verse 13. I won't have you to turn to every passage you can try, but uh, there are several passages here that I want to uh, look at. And several of them are here in Acts, so you might be able to stay in Acts for a bit. Several examples of this spirit-filled boldness, spirit-enabled boldness, seen in the lives of believers. And for example, listen to Acts 4 and verse 13, which records for us the amazement of the Sanhedrin at the bold confidence of Peter. Peter and John, in fact. Acts 4 and verse 13 Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and there's something that ought to give us hope, right? Here here are these followers of Jesus Christ. What does it say here about them? They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What was it they saw? They saw their boldness. They saw their courage to speak the truth of the gospel, to speak the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what. And they were overwhelmed, these onlookers here in Acts 4. They witnessed the speech and the conduct of of the disciples. And what did they do? They attributed their boldness to this this fact that they, they said, well, they've been with Jesus But we know from the Scriptures that Jesus' followers had something better. Now that would be great, wouldn't it, to be able to spend time with Jesus? But there's something even greater than that, and Jesus even suggested there was something even greater than being with him in person, and that is him being in you by way of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' followers had something far better than being with Jesus, following him around, watching him teach, and watching him interact with people, as we see in the text of John 7 today. Something far better is that indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that goes with you wherever you go. And they had it back in Acts chapter 2. They were given it back in Acts 2. Here's another example of the Spirit-filled boldness of believers, the Spirit-enabled, the Spirit-empowered boldness of believers in Jesus, Acts chapter 4 still, and go to verse 31. And this is recorded of the young church as they were facing persecution. Remember that. They're facing persecution. Uh, 
verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You see, one of the after effects, the side effects, one of the things that, that comes from the spirit enablement is the, is the courage to speak boldly about the gospel, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 31 again and think about this with me. What were they doing here? What were they doing? They're yielding to the spirit. You can see it in the way they're gathered here. And when they had prayed, they were, what are they praying? They're, well, they're being persecuted. So um, they're gathered praying to God for his help. They're praying for his wisdom, praying for his direction, their help as they face persecution. And, and what do you do when you pray? If you're praying rightly, you're yielding to God's will being done in your life. And that, you need to think about prayer that way. A prayer is not a you bringing your shopping list to God for him to fulfill and, and uh, deliver for you. As you can have your, you know, you can have your groceries delivered these days. Um, God's not like that. Um, He wants you to yield to his will being done in your life. So your praying should be informed by God's word. And yes, you have burdens and concerns and you certainly bring them to the Lord. And he wants you to do that. But he wants you to bring them with that attitude that Jesus displayed when he said, not my will be done, but yours be done. And so as these Young believers, the early church, are gathered praying as they're facing persecution. They're yielding to God. And they weren't trying to face persecution in their own strength. They knew what they needed to do. They knew they needed to pray to the God of the universe. And they're yielding to God in prayer, asking for God's help, and no doubt uh, humbling themselves before God, which is appropriate. And what happens? They receive the filling and empowering of the Holy Spirit as they, as they expectantly wait on God and they yield to God in prayer for his help and in face of this persecution. And I think we can learn from them here that they're, they're not depending on their own wisdom. It's, it's one thing to pursue knowledge, to pursue the wisdom of God's word, as I suggest you read your Bible throughout the week. And as we read through Proverbs, that was a book full of the wisdom of Examples of the wisdom of God's word teaches us how we ought to be readers of the word. It's good to pursue wisdom and knowledge and understanding, even even wisdom outside of the Bible. I would make the Bible your primary source for the things that you pursue in, in knowledge and wisdom, but there are other places we can find wisdom to help us in life. You do need to be you do need to be careful about the kinds of things you read. God's word is a good uh, measure of that. It'll help you understand what's good and what's healthy and and um, helpful for reading, even adding to your wisdom. And we can learn here that these people aren't doing that. They're not going off looking for ways to build up their own wisdom so that they can handle this persecution in their own strength. They're gathered together as the early church, and they're humbling themselves before God in prayer, asking for God's help because they knew they were dependent on God. I think that's where we need to arrive as God's church here in Chardon, and as God's church in this world in which we live, when we think about God's church, we're a part of the church. Sometimes we say we're the church, but but we're a part of the church. The church is global. And the church global, and includes us, needs to get to this point to realize we are 
totally dependent on God. And we may think we have wisdom, and we may be able to add up to our wisdom, so to speak, but we need to turn to God's Word for, for real wisdom and turn to God on our knees, if we don't do it physically, at least in our hearts, yielding before God in prayer, asking for His help and for His wisdom. For He has given us His Spirit for that purpose, and He has given us His Word for that purpose. Here are these new believers. They're depending on God for the Spirit's wisdom, the Spirit's strength, and work through them, and God pours out His Spirit on them. There's another account. Immediately after his conversion, Paul spoke boldly in the name of Jesus, both in Damascus and in Jerusalem. Listen to Acts 9, or if you want to turn there and look at it with me, you're only a few chapters away. Acts chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. Paul speaking boldly here, speaking in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? It means speaking the gospel, speaking the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and why he came to save sinners. Acts 9 and verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly, In the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem. Here it is again. Preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Paul, formerly Saul, persecutor of the church. Now he's a full-blown believer. (laughs) And he's empowered by God through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And what's... What happens? He has a total change of character, a a total change in course of life. And the apostles look at him and they're trying to determine, is this guy for real? He, He used to be pursuing believers to kill them and have them done away with, and now he's one of us? Yes, he's preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. Preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And then listen to Acts chapter 13, a few chapters later. Acts 13 and verse 46, which records this about Paul and Barnabas. Acts 13, verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. They spoke out boldly. What was it they were speaking out boldly? They were speaking out the word of God. There's a, there's a reminder for us, too, uh, that we need to be not only understand that we're on God's timetable, even as individuals in this world, we think we're on our own timetable. We're not. We're on God's timetable. We're on his timeline, his, his uh, timekeeping. Even as we change time today, we're really not in control of that. Uh, God's in control of all, all things around us, and we praise God for the change of seasons and the change of weather that we've enjoyed and things like that. But we need to realize not only are we on God's timetable, but we also need to be on, uh, we have to have our lives on his, on his business. Uh, we're, we're to be about the Lord's business. And part of that, that um, role that's ours is speaking Not just boldly, but speaking the word of God boldly. We're not just to go through life speaking boldly. We're not, um, I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm saying today, that the Holy Spirit indwells you for the purpose of bold and courageous living 
absent from speaking the truth of the gospel. Your life should be based on the truth of the gospel, lived according to the truth of God's word. And then out of that, you should speak boldly the truth of the gospel. That's what we see happening here. Paul Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. It wasn't they were bringing their own agenda. They were on God's agenda. And it doesn't end there either. We're told in Acts 14, Acts chapter 14 and verse 3, that Paul and Barnabas remained for a long time, and here it is again, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting, here's God's work in them, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. God was at work through these obedient followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Acts chapter 18, four chapters later, Acts 18 verse 26, it says that Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. So it's not just Paul and Barnabas, it's, it's Apollos also. It's, the point here is that it's spirit-filled believers who are being obedient to God. Acts chapter 18 and verse 26 says that Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Then chapter 19, I told you I was going to be touching on quite a few passages here. Acts chapter 19 and verse 8, we learn that when he arrived in Ephesus, Paul, verse 8, entered the synagogue and for, I love this, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. He wasn't just passing through for a couple of days. He spent three months, and what did he do? He spoke boldly. What was he speaking boldly about? He was speaking boldly about the gospel, about the kingdom of God. And when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, what was he doing then? He was still preaching. Still preaching with boldness. In fact, Acts 28 Acts 28 and verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the Holy Spirit at work in God's people. Paul later asked the believers at Ephesus, and I'm going to leave Acts now and go to Ephesians 6. Paul later asked the believers at Ephesus to pray for him in Ephesians 6, verses 19 and 20. What do you think he was praying for? You know this passage, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. How should God's people speak about the gospel? Should we speak about it uh, sheepishly, with meekness, apologetically? Should we apologize for the gospel? No, no, that's not what Paul did. That's not what these early believers did as we see in Acts and later. Paul says, pray for me. That's one of the things that we can do for each other, pray for each other, that we'll be bold livers of the gospel bold proclaimers of the gospel truth. Pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Sometimes I think, we think, Paul didn't need, he was like a superhero. 
And he knew he was in human flesh like we are, and he needed his brothers and sisters in Christ to hold him up before the Lord so that he would have the boldness that only the Holy Spirit could give him in response to their praying, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's how, that's how we ought to live the gospel. And when I say we ought to live the gospel boldly, I mean we ought to be ready to live it no matter what. And sometimes in the culture that we're living in right now, the world, things going on around us, we think, man, what could happen if I obey God's word and, and choose to disobey something that the government tells me to do that's in opposition to God's word? What, what will happen? We don't know. But I know God's in control, and we're to submit ourselves to God's word, come what may. Um, maybe it's not that serious. Maybe it's something about uh, our workplace. What if, I, what if I refuse to support that idea that my company wants to support, and, and it won't look good for me, and I'm afraid what my boss might think about me? We ought to be more concerned about what our Heavenly Father will think about us and live for God's glory, come what may. That's living boldly according to the gospel. And that's what the apostles were doing. That's what the early church was doing. And to the Philippian believers, Paul shared the same request in Philippians 1.20. Philippians 1.20, he says, and Paul knew he needed this help of the Holy Spirit and the prayer of the saints on his behalf. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul says in Philippians 1.20, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that, that with full courage... Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. How is Christ honored in his body, whether by life or by death? If Paul lives boldly for the gospel, that's how. Boldly for the gospel. And then in his first letter to the Thessalonian believers, he reminded them, 1 Thessalonians um, 2 and verse 2, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of such conflict. Here he is in the middle of being persecuted, opposed, pursued for speaking the truth of the gospel, and he will not stop. He will not shut up about the wonderful truth of the gospel in the midst of such conflict, he says. And not only was Paul bold in person, as seen in 2 Corinthians 3.12, when he says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. He's also bold in his letters to the church. Romans 15.15, for example, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. He's bold with the gospel in the world to unbelievers. He's bold with believers with the gospel to encourage them and challenge them to live according to God's word and by the gospel. And then in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 1, there's another example. I, Paul, myself entreat you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. He's writing to them. Again, this is not his own boldness, but with the boldness the Holy Spirit has empowered him with, enabled him to speak the truth 
that the church needed to hear, that the church needed to be instructed by. And then as he's being persecuted by unbelievers, he's speaking the truth of the gospel that, that dying sinners needed to hear. So we have all these examples of spirit-filled boldness in living by and, and speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like we see in the examples of Jesus elsewhere, um, just as we've saw today in chapter 7 of John. Listen to John 7 and verse 26 when the people said of him, and here he is speaking openly, <laughs> speaking boldly. Here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? I mean, isn't this the one that they're trying to kill? And here he is speaking openly. Here he is. They're, they're shocked that he's so bold to speak openly. And the point I want you to get from all of this, all of those examples... The point is that if you're in Christ, if you are a child of God, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and as a believer in and follower of Jesus, the same boldness that we see demonstrated in the Scriptures through the early church and through these believers, some of them apostles, that same boldness is, is yours by way of the help of the Holy Spirit when you honor God's Word by your obedience. You've got to remember this. This is not your boldness. It's not a a make-it-up kind of boldness, but it's a a yielded dependence on God and His Word, taking steps daily to obey God's commands. Ephesians 3.12, speaking of this boldness that we have only through faith in Christ, says this. Again, this is boldness that's based on our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In whom, that's Christ, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is not a make it up kind of boldness. This is not a go to the gym and get boldness kind of thing. This is is to go to God's word and yield your life to God's work in your life through his spirit and yield to living God, uh, the, the God-given life that you have for God's glory in your work, in your family, in your neighborhood. This is not easy stuff we're talking about. There are challenges at every turn. But you've been given the Holy Spirit and you've been given the Word to help you along the way. Even as we see it there, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence. How? Through faith in Him. You live your life with your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 10:19 also reminds us of this truth. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, how? By the blood of Jesus Christ. We have confidence to come before God in prayer. Why? Because he welcomes us through Jesus shed blood. We have confidence to live this life for God's glory. Why? Because Jesus has gone before us and shed his blood. And he's given us his spirit, poured his spirit into us, and given us his word. So a believer has available, you have available, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the same spirit-enabled boldness. So how do we access the spirit-filled boldness to live and speak for Jesus Christ? I've, I've touched on some ideas, I've hinted at some ideas here, but I want to give you three Three ideas about how we access the Spirit-enabled boldness. How can we make sure we aren't quenching the Spirit, as the Word tells us to quench not the Spirit? 
How can we be sure we aren't quenching the Spirit's work in us? Three ideas I want you to uh, take with you tonight. First of all, you must trust in God. The Spirit-enabled boldness begins with our eyes fixed on our Savior. You've got to trust in God. Trust in His promises. Trust in His Word. This is not your boldness. This is not you being bold. This is you yielding to God for His boldness to live for Him. It's God working in you. We noted it in Isaiah 50 and verse 7 when we heard Isaiah's prophecy foretell of the boldness of Jesus Christ and said, but the Lord God helps me. Jesus, that was prophetic about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not I have not been disgraced, therefore I have, not set my, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Because God is at work. You can have confidence. The Lord God helped Jesus, and as Romans 8.17 says, we are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Think of that. The Lord God helped Jesus during his time here on earth, facing persecution like we will never likely meet. And we are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Just think of it. As fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, you have the Lord God's help. So trust in God. You've got to begin there. Keep trusting in God. It might be a daily thing. You remind yourself, I'm trusting in God. I'm looking at the challenges today, and I'm going to trust them to God. I need that reminder, and you do too. Trust in God. Rest in His care. Rest in His help. Sometimes I get to the end of my day, and I've had challenges that I cannot handle on my own, and the only reason I'm able to fall asleep is because I know God's in control. (laughs) You ever find yourself that way, and you're stewing about something, and you think, wait, God's in control. It's time for me to rest. I need rest, and I'm going to sleep because God's got it. We need that reminder. All of us do. Trust in God. Rest in His care. Rest in His help. Trust in His word. Seek to obey His word. As Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. I would say that about the strength of the Lord by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Don't lean on your own strength. You might think you've got it all figured out. Oh, I don't need God's help for this. I've got this figured out. (laughs) You might want to pump the brakes and ask for God's help. Even if you think you don't need it. Ask for God's help. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, says Proverbs 3.5. So trust in God. That's number one. Number two, you also need to practice the fear of God and not man. And I say practice because this takes practice. It's so easy to fear man. We can see our fellow man. We can see what's going on around us. We can see things, you know, we, we sense the things going on around us, but sometimes it's not so easy to remember, wait, we need to yield to God. We need to fear God first. We need to humble ourselves before God primarily. Fear God. Practice the fear of God, not man. We need to say from the heart the same commitment we, that we hear in Acts 5.29, But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. It's not easy, is it? But if you're going to follow God, if you're going to trust in him fully, you need to practice the fear of God and say, 
We must obey God rather than man. God's first. God's primary. Devote yourself to giving God your reverent obedience. That's what the fear of God means. Reverent obedience. Reverent respect and obedience. Pray for God's help daily with this. Fear God, believe and obey God's word and commit to obeying God's commands. You're going to fail at times. And you're not going to always obey God's commands. But, but commit yourself to this. Say, this is something that I am committed to. I'm committed to obeying God's commands. I'm taking them in and read God's word. Devote yourself to being obedient to God. And then ask for God's help every day. No matter what. I'm going to obey God no matter what. That's the next necessary step to spirit-filled boldness in living for God's glory and speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. Devoting yourself to honoring God with reverent obedience, fearing the Lord and not fearing man. And then thirdly, practice being faithful to God. Again, this is an obedience thing. Practice being faithful to God and, and, and what I mean is day-by-day day obedience. Uh, I just talked about devoting yourself to the truth. And that's kind of the big, I'm going to devote my life. No matter what happens, I'm going to give my whole life to honoring God. But now let's bring it into focus into one day. In this day, I'm going to honor God. And tomorrow, I want to do that again. But to, in this day that I'm living, I want to honor God. I want to honor Him with my life. I want to obey Him with the moments that He's given me. First Timothy 3 and verse 13 is an example of the boldness and confidence of those who are faithful and obedient to God day by day when it says, for those who serve well as deacons, and just because this talks about deacons, I would, I would suggest that we not think, oh, that's not for me. You know that we all ought to be living up to this kind of standard? We ought to want to live up to this kind of biblical standard? For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That There's a list that comes before this that talks about the qualification for those who serve as deacons. We all, we all ought to want to measure up to that kind of a God-honoring standard. And if you do, what happens? For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith. Because God is at work. Confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Day-by-day obedience will actually give you confidence to live boldly for the Lord. You know what Satan wants you to do? He wants you to be disobedient. He wants you to keep areas of your life kind of out of sight. And these, these things I'm going to do my way. I'll, uh, these things that are more visible that everybody can see, I'm going to do God's way. These other things that are more private. And, and Satan will, will beat you up with that and, and try to defeat you with that. Give those areas to God. And give daily obedience to God. And what will happen? You'll gain great confidence in the faith. And the Holy Spirit will grow boldness in you to live for Jesus Christ. We're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about sinlessness. That's, that's not now. That's not this side of heaven. And yet, we ought to pursue it. We ought to pursue honoring God with our whole life. It's going to be challenged to be sinless this side of heaven, but we ought to aim for that. And aim for honoring God with our lives. This is a, a wholehearted commitment to daily faithfulness. Daily humbling yourself before the Lord. Asking for His strength in shaping your will to obey. God, shape my will. Help me to want to obey. 
strengthen my will to say no to that sin and yes to this obedience. And when these spiritual disciplines are true of you, when these are all saturated with with submissive prayer to God, asking for his help, the same boldness of Jesus seen in John 7 and elsewhere, the same boldness we see in the early church and in the apostles and followers of Christ in the New Testament, the same boldness can be true of you. To live for God's glory, to speak the truth of the gospel, just as we're reminded by Proverbs 28, 1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Again, it's not our boldness. It's the boldness of the Holy Spirit at work in us. You can be bold as a lion if you pursue honoring and glorifying God with your life, giving your daily obedience to Him, trusting in God, practicing the fear of God, not man, practicing being faithful to God daily, day-by-day day obedience, all of it saturated with humble prayer, asking for God's help.